Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Brad Chandler with Brad Chandler Coaching and Brad flew in from Fairfax, Virginia. Talk about his company did 250 plus deals last year, working only an hour a week. It's a crazy, crazy stat. Uh, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you'll become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors, Take a 10% off. And guys, if you get value out of the show today, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first question is, is what was your life like right before you got into real estate? Wow. Well, I was in education. I was in school. Yeah. I was in college. Okay. Um, in college for what? Real estate. So you I, went to college for real estate? I did. I read a book when I was in ninth grade on how to buy real estate with no money down by Robert Allen, who I got to meet like a month ago at the mastermind. That you yeah, family. Had. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you read that in ninth grade. Read it in ninth grade. And you went to college for real estate. There's only one other person I know that went to college for real estate. And that's uh, Matthew Potter. He does the, the Par and the Disruption oh, show. Oh, okay. Actually went to college for real estate. Cool. So you went to college for real estate and then you graduated? Yeah, so I always knew I wanted to do real estate because wow. unlimited income. Yeah, I wanted to make a lot of money, and we'll get to that later, why I wanted and needed to make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so I went to Virginia Tech undergrad, got a um, residential property management degree. I was being groomed to go work for a national apartment REIT, but I also got a concentration. They just started a concentration in real estate. It was like real estate finance, real estate sales, um, real estate maybe development. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. And then I came out and worked for an apartment REIT. And then I'm like, I'm not a corporate guy. I don't want to climb the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school to get my MBA from University of Wisconsin, one of the top five real estate programs in real estate. Came out and worked for a developer. Mm -hmm. And then in late 2002, an investor bought my neighbor's house. And I went and talked to him. And he said, I buy houses at 30% below market, fix them up, resell them. I was like, I'm going to do that. So hang on before we get into all that. So you went to college. And then after college, you were for a REIT. I worked for a REIT, Avalon Bay, one of the premier apartment REITs. So for those that are less informed about REITs, can you elaborate what a REIT is? Yeah, it stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. It's basically, um, it's a public company mm -hmm. that is owned by stockholders that in, uh, invest in whatever. This happened to be apartments, um, mm -hmm. upper scale class A apartments around the yeah. country. Yeah, so REITs are fascinating to me, right? Because you don't really learn a lot about REITs. Um, and then I become a licensed realtor. I get into real estate, I'm doing deals, and then I get into commercial. I thought, you know, we all graduate from residential to commercial. Like, that's just like this idea you have. Right. I don't know who plants this seed, but it's planted somewhere. And I get into, like, looking at commercial properties for leasing. Like, I'm leasing in this commercial building. And I didn't understand that commercial, it does the cash flow doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Because um, I'll have a property vacant forever. And they just don't care. I was like, how can they not care? If I own a commercial building, I'm going to care Yeah, <laughs> that it's vacant, that I'm not cash flowing. Yeah. But for a REIT, they're like, yeah, if we cash flow, if we rent it out below <laughs> market rent, then the value goes down. So REITs don't care, or at least the people managing the REITs don't care about cash flow. They care about the value of the asset, which is mind-boggling. Yeah. Right? It's a different world when you it's have good. that much money. Yeah. When you're, when you're deploying tens or hundreds of billions of dollars, you have different financial issues. Yes. Right. So you saw that world. That was an uninteresting world. It was too corporate, too Wall Street. 
Uh, you know, I think I was inspired by my dad. Um, I needed control. I didn't have a lot of control as a child. And mm -hmm. entrepreneurs often start businesses because they want control. Right. But we don't control anything in this world yeah. except our thoughts. And you actually get control by giving up control. So Yeah. So then you went to go work for a developer. And that was that? Uh, no, that developer, um, he bought rundown apartments and then converted them, fixed them up, and converted them to condos. And mm -hmm. it was during working for him mm -hmm. that I ran into this investor at my neighbor that bought my neighbor's house. Right. But were you satisfied or fulfilled working there, or that Not wasn't at all. it either? Not at all. No. <laughs> so what I was were making the... like sixty grand, and then I negotiated like uh, I, I raised to like ninety two thousand dollars. But I didn't like working for somebody. So let's talk about that, like, because there's going to be people listening right now that maybe are still working their job and they don't want to work for somebody. Yeah. So what were those experiences that you had or those feelings that you had when you were working for somebody? Just someone controlling me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the last 20 years now, I, when I'm sick, I just don't get out of bed. Right. I'm not sick much. I'm hardly ever sick. Uh, when I go on and go on vacation, I don't need to call anybody. Yeah. Um, I don't answer to anybody. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that, that's the feeling that I loved and that's what I didn't have then that I did not like. Right. So the idea of having to submit requests to HR yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't even that. Just just calling and being like, can I take the day off? Can, yeah. can I go on a vacation? Yeah. So then you meet, someone buys your neighbor's house. Yeah. So, and he, and you just like walked over and talked to him? Like, what was that scenario? Yeah, so the neighbor's house was a recluse that lived there, and the place was a, just a wreck. So I had gold sitting right under my nose, but I had no idea what to do. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the house is like transformed, and he's got like 14 people in the house. I'm like, this is really weird. What's going on? And he was having a seminar. He taught people how to do that. So, oh, so he bought the house and then had an event. And at then the house. rehabbed it and then had an event. <laughs> and my awesome. dad had this addiction to buying golf clubs. And so mm -hmm. I had like rows of golf clubs. I was like doing a yard sale and he was a golfer. And so we just kind of hit it off and started yeah. talking. Got it. So ninth grade, you pick up, buy houses, no money down. You didn't do anything in regards to buying houses, no money down. No. Nothing with it. Nothing. Uh, you didn't, did you even like look up like a Robert Allen seminar or you just nope. went straight to the education route and then you see this guy and then he just like reignites? Yeah, my parents expected me to go to college. Yeah. Uh, they had gone to college. Both of them had graduate level degrees, so I had to go to college. So mm -hmm. it was just, okay, I'm going to college. Yeah. I got to go to college. <laughs> so this is going to be a challenge for myself because I have, so I have a master's degree in electrical engineering. My wife has a master's degree in computer science. I can foresee my oldest child telling me this is not for me, right? Like she's at, at 12 years old. She's, I think, like a third of the way through StoryBrand because she wants to build websites and sell them. Oh, my gosh. That's as a service awesome. provider, right? That's awesome. I love it. Embrace it. I am. However, <laughs> you're talking about your parents expecting you to go to college. They went to college. You went to, like, you're expecting you to go to college. My wife has a really high expectation on our kids, all three kids going to college. Like, well, this is going to be a challenge later on, right? So, um, okay, so you're you, you strike up a conversation with this guy who's buying golf clubs, right? I imagine he's probably negotiating with you. He, he, he didn't buy anything. He just kind of laughed. He's like, where'd you get all these golf clubs? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, my dad has a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So then what did you do with that? Uh, did you get lunch with this guy? Like, no, what? I literally committed that day. This was probably October-ish of 20, excuse me, 2002. I'm like, I'm going to buy houses. And my dad, who was an attorney, literally started almost TV. He was one of the first attorneys to do TV advertising. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, huh, TV advertisement, buying houses. That's what I'm going to do. 
Yeah. So I, I literally made a promise to myself, I'm going to start this. Mm-hmm. And it took me eight long months of just yeah. really hard work to find my first deal. So you made, you see this guy, he holds an event at this house. And from there you're saying, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And you said eight months to buy your first house. Eight so, months. So what you made a promise to yourself, but we all know promises are not enough. So what did you do right then and there? I literally started um, going to RIA meetings at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, or they didn't have meetups, so I went to the RIA meetings. I don't even know. He pro- oh, he, he invited me. He had a RIA. That's it. And I went to his. And then I went to another one because I met people, and they're like, oh, you should go to this one. And I keep showing up every week, and these guys are holding up checks, wholesaling, 5000 10000 rehabbers making 40000 And I'm like, well, the, re- the wholesaling, that's for the less sophisticated person. Yeah. I'm smart. I've got credit. I did negative eighty thousand dollars net worth, but I've got credit. Yeah. So I uh, just started grassroots guerrilla marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, literally hand address hundreds of envelopes to uh, sellers. I'd, I'd pull up the tax roll or something. Um, I would do door hangers. I would put out "We Buy Houses" signs when the DC sniper was out picking off people. We were banging. We were banging signs out. So and, this is in the back of your mind as you're putting band yeah, sides down. Yeah. Yeah. And then every day I got more and more persistent. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And it happened. It all kind of came together in, in July and August. So it was just going to read meetings, putting up signs, sending out letters. How many calls were you getting along the way? Oh, hardly any. Hardly any. <laughs> hardly so, any. And this is that part we're going to talk about later on about childhood trauma, right? But one of the things that I think, you know, as us being somewhat damaged individuals, is that we're willing to persevere through adversity a lot longer, right? So you're saying <laughs> no, hardly any calls, but you kept going. Why? It would have been so much easier to not keep going. I didn't know then, but I know now through the work I've done the last three years, I was proud to prove something. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel worthy. Yeah. I had to prove something. I thought money would bring me to a certain state of happiness and worthiness. Yeah. So that's what kept you going. That's what kept was me that going. I'm not worthy today, but once this is done, I will be worthy. Yes. But it was all unconscious. Right. I wasn't waking up saying that. No. Yeah. No, it's 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 our unconscious programming. Yeah. Which drives 95% of your behavior on a yeah. daily basis. So if you're drinking, come home and you kick the dog and you yell with your wife every night and you drink three glasses of wine, you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's your subconscious mind. Yeah. from programming from 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So you're you're taking all this action. Were you still working? I was working a full-time job. So I'd come home at 6 o'clock. My son was born in July of that year. Mm-hmm. So I'd come home from 6 to 8, spend the time with him, put him to sleep, and then I'd work from 8 to like 11 every single night and on mm-hmm. weekends. Got it. Okay. So talk to me about the first uh First appointment, I mean the first at bat we bought that. I was like, first appointment, like how was that? Um, I found my first appointment on a list serve. Mm-hmm. I think you're old enough to remember Yahoo list serves. Yeah. yeah. So I went to this appointment, and this lady had five people in a one bedroom house. Um, five people living inside. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was a three bedroom, one bath. Mm-hmm. Five kids. I think it was like six or seven. One of her children drowned in the bathtub. Ooh. She was. Facing the house was a disaster. I made an offer too high. She declined, but I kept in touch with her realtor. And her realtor was one of those people who called me in July of 2003 and said, Hey, since you're a foreclosure expert, we could really use your help. My client is a week away from foreclosure. 
And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can help. And I hung up the phone. I'm like, oh, shit, what have I done? <laughs> and I went out and met with her. I got the house. Actually, I called the investor. I called the guy because I didn't know anything. Yeah. He's like, oh, just put it in a land trust and take a subject to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the hell did he just say? Yeah. So he's like, call this title guy. So the title guy walked me through it, but that's what I did. I went and offered her like $20,000 less. I gave her five grand. Mm -hmm. I took over the mortgage subject too. She would have lost everything. She would have been homeless. She took that money and went and actually rented a really nice house like 30 minutes outside of town. Yeah. So your first one, you reach out to a mentor and they coach you through it. Yeah. Right? Which, I mean, there's so much power in that simple message. I think so many people try to do it on their own or like, why would someone help me? Right? Like, I think there's a lot of people that when they first start in, they have this scarcity mindset. Why would anyone help me? Where you and I, it's obvious. Of course, people want to help you. Like we want, we, we're naturally wired to be helpful. So you get this deal done. Did you? So you, you took it over subject to an land trust. So then, did you sell it for revenue, or did you keep it? Another funny story. Again, I thought you had to rehab properties because oh yeah, you're a I'm sophisticated. I'm a yeah. sophisticated flipper, smart yeah. flipper, right? Right. So I am. Um, I'm about to buy the house and start the rehab, and I listened to a Ron Legrand tape. And he says, don't rehab properties, put handyman special in the newspaper, and all of these people will show up. So I put that in the newspaper, I show up to the open house, and there is, this room's pretty large. There was, there was, there was about the amount of trash piled this high up, and these ceilings are like 10 feet, in the, in the front yard, it was crazy. One lady shows up, one lady. I'm like, oh shit. I'd only gone to one real estate seminar, and that was Robert Sheeman, who I'm still friends with to this day, and he goes, here, he goes, here's a standard contract. It was literally a pa like three paragraphs on one page, and it said standard purchase contract. And it said, buyer to pay all closing costs. I'd never done a deal, but he's like, just stick with the contract. So in this heap of mess, we're signing the contract. This lady bought like 13 houses. She goes, the buyer pays all closing costs. She goes, that's not usual. I go, this is a standard contract. <laughs> <laughs> so she paid, she paid, paid the closing costs, and I made $42,000 on that house. On that deal? On that house. I was making before I like three months before when I renegotiated my salary from sixty to ninety two thousand dollars. That's what I was making. I was making sixty thousand dollars. I made forty two thousand dollars on one house. I'm like, yeah. whoa, right. So then, how long did you stay in your other job? So in July and August, I bought six houses. Okay. I go to my boss in in October of two thousand three, and I said I quit. I come home at my wife at the time. I go, I just quit. I'm starting Express Home Buyers, mm -hmm. and she goes. Are you crazy? We have a newborn son and I have two kids. How are we going to survive? I was like, we'll be fine. And here we are 4,000 houses later. We're not still married, but it was all fine. <laughs> yeah, it worked itself out. It worked itself out. Yeah. So, um, and that, and that's, I, I'm, I'm emphasizing some of these points, right? Because you had, like, you, you took action. You saw this thing. 4,000 homes later, like, you've, you've done a lot of, of transactions, right? So this all started in 02, 03, you said? 02 is when I decided to do it, and 03 was when I bought my first house. Okay, so you bought your first house. Was there any point where you had any doubt? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, were, there, were, there was a Christmas where we were talking, my partner and I, I was standing outside, I can remember like it was yesterday, and it was probably 12 years ago, where we were talking about what bankruptcy attorney we were going we to call. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I lost, of the first 17 years I was in business, Steve, I made $5 million trying to prove my worth that cost me and my partner $9 million. How? We bought three. So in the first five months of 2005, mm -hmm. we netted on paper $1.5 million. Yeah. 
here again, ego. Like everyone else must be dumb. This Brad Chandler guy, he's really smart. He's I'm smarter a, than everybody I'm else. I'm smarter than everybody, yeah. and I'm going to take the world by storm, and I'm going to be retired here in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So why mess around with homes? We're going to go I, – I, I um, consider development commercial, right? Mm-hmm. It's not fine in fixing, fixing houses. So we bought three development deals. One was a single family – one was a, what's that? In 05. In 05. One was a single family house in North Arlington. If we had just known what we were doing, we could have looked at a title report and in 15 minutes saw that it was a quarter lot and we could not subdivide it. Our plan was to subdivide it, knock it down, and build two houses. We couldn't even rehab a house and we were going to build two luxury houses. That's me, me trying to prove myself. We lost $934,000 on that house. Oh, wow. We bought a row house in DC. We're like, oh, we'll just put a third level on it. But we didn't check zoning. Mm-hmm. No, 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 you can't do that. Another half a million. Then we bought a six unit in Adams Morgan, a real prestigious neighborhood in, mm-hmm. in Northwest DC. And we converted to condos. We, it was so bad. We picked this architect and builder that was so freaking bad. It took us 10 years to extricate ourselves. We had to buy back the units at one point. So those three deals were, there were three of the $9 million. The We Buy Houses lawsuit mm-hmm. that, that I got, We Buy Houses um, yeah. trademark yeah. canceled. So for everyone that's not up to speed, so We Buy Houses was a trademarked term, right? Which is, you know, We Buy Houses seems like a fairly simple phrase. I think we all have it. We buy houses cash. We buy houses fast. It's a lot of our marketing language. But there's a period of time where someone had it trademarked and you took charge. <laughs> in leading that yeah. fight, smart Brad took charge again. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me. What was what 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 led up to that fight? Uh, so he took a bunch of uh, Jeremy Brandt, the owner, took a bunch of our YouTube videos down because they had we buy houses on them. And so you uh, were doing YouTube videos. I was doing YouTube videos that had uh, they were highly ranked. I I would do like a bunch of like we I would just copy the same video over and over again. Mm-hmm. We buy houses Alexandria. We buy houses DC. And they were like on the top three or four spots. So they're great lead gen. They were. Yeah. yeah. And they just poofed, went away. All right. So they filed a complaint with Google or YouTube. They just took them straight down. Yeah. 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 I, he reached out to me, but I may have missed the email or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so you get your videos taken down. You're having a moment of like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And then you went straight to fight or flight? Uh, so I called him thinking I had a relationship with the guy and he'd be like, no, it's fine. He was like, no, it's not fine. You can't use the word. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on, man, this is going to be expensive. Like you got to put it back up and you know, I should have just left it at that, but I didn't. Well, you didn't. And I'm thankful that you didn't. <laughs> right. So how long was that fight? Two years, two years, two years. Brutal. Yeah. And you put up 1.9 million of that yeah. legal fight. Yeah. Well, my partner and I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had a little bit of funding. <laughs> yeah, $100,000. I thought all investors would like come to our rescue and be yeah. like, get behind me and tra- the Calvary would be charging ahead. Nah. Yeah. When was this exactly? <laughs> I think it ended in like 2017, 20, yeah, 2018. Yeah. I think I might have thrown like $1,000 into it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so it was a long drawn out battle. It's like, was it like local, regional? Like, did it go, how far did it go? Because $1.9 million is a lot of money. Um, we were in like, uh, I don't even remember, man. Uh, we were we were in a higher level court. Um, I don't remember, though, what it, what it was, yeah. honestly. But at this point, were you in Collective Genius? Oh, yeah. The, uh, Collective Genius raised like 98% of the $110,000 I think we raised. Yeah. So, okay. So CG threw their weight behind it. You had 100 k 
to support you. So 100K out of the 2 million. Yeah. Right. So um, you said two years. What was the outcome? Obviously, you got it removed, but like, what happened after that? Nothing other than the, the trademark was canceled. Yeah. Did your YouTube videos come back? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you fought this battle. Did you get anything out of it? No, I got nothing out of it. Just a okay. bunch of wasted time and money. But you got a story. <laughs> you got a story, yeah. So um, we're talking about doing, you know, uh, 250 houses uh, last year working an hour a week. Most people would be happy with either 250 houses in a year or having a business that requires one hour a week. So you're able to do both. How were you able to do both? So let me, because I, I hate when we start stories and don't finish them when I'm a listener on the podcast. Yeah. So I just want to tell you the other mistakes. Yeah. So uh, $3 million in in uh, in those three development deals, $2 million in the lawsuit, that's five. I think we figured up that at any given, for, for a three-year period or five-year period, we're doing like 85 rehabs spread out like four-hour driving time. Mm -hmm. We probably lost another $3 million there. And then in 28, excuse me, what year was it? In 2010, we started, 2008, we started Keller Williams team. When? 2008. Okay. And by 2010, we were the number one Keller Williams team in North America. Do you know why we started that team? Because I wanted to be the first agent team to ever sell $1 billion in one year. So all I was focused on was top line revenue. Mm -hmm. We wake up in, in 2005, I don't know if you remember this, the tax credit went away. Mm -hmm. Real estate prices, my partner was like, called me one morning, he goes, Brad, I think our real estate just dropped from 24 million, meaning the total value, we had a bunch of debt on it, of course, to 21.5 million. He's like, we gotta make some changes. He's like, I think if we hadn't started that realty company, we would have another million dollars in the bank. So I got my, I, we became the number one Kellerians team, and I got my picture with Gary Keller, and it cost me a million dollars. <laughs> so those were those were the the mistakes. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> so how did I work? How did I do it? Um, Express Home Buyers did 253 deals last year. Working. Actually, before we get there, uh, we missed a step here. So you started in 02. There was this thing that happened between 07 and 11. How did you make it through that? So we we're doing 100% rehab houses. So you can imagine we got stuck with a bunch. So you got you held on to a lot of houses when the, sh when the when yeah, I mean, changed. we were just in the process. We had a bunch of rehab projects going yeah. on. It was, we saw it in August of 2007. The real market crash didn't happen for a couple months after that, mm -hmm. I think. But we st started seeing it. When, when a 32-year-old when came into my office and she owned $750,000, two homes, and I go, what do you do? She said, either I'm a hairdresser or I'm an administrative assistant. The part I remember, I go, how much money do you make a year? And she goes, $32,000. I go, why do you buy these houses? She goes, oh, my sister's a realtor. She was like, I can't lose. It's a great investment. So I knew things were um, going bad there. So what did we do? Um, we buckled down, and we did really nice rehabs, and we priced the house below. And then we did this huge broker outreach where we spent a lot of time incentivizing brokers to sell our house because we didn't have to go sell 50 houses. Mm -hmm. We just had to sell one house in one neighborhood and we tried to make it look like the best house. So we did pretty well. And then in 2010, we started buying a bunch of rentals mm -hmm. and then the prices took off. So we rode those up and because of the mistakes I made, we had to sell those, but we, we, you know, we probably made $3 million in actual equity from just riding it up. So you're able to get by by just being really intentional on the product that you have. Yeah, and we would underwrite, Steve. We would, instead of looking at sole comps, we're looking at actives, and we would literally—I can remember underwriting deals 
to drop by five to ten percent while we held on to them because mm-hmm. that's what was happening. Yeah, and that's probably super valuable today. Yes, follow. Look at actives. Don't worry about sold so much. Look mm-hmm. at actives because I just heard a good friend of mine say he, things are starting to slow in Portland. Right, mm-hmm. they're starting to slow in a lot of areas. He's like, I got this house, I put it on the market, and then two actives come up. And so I priced them below the actives, and none of it's been on the market for eight days, and we've got nothing, which is normal. But for what we've gone through the last 12 years, it's very abnormal to not get when you're price, mm-hmm. price lower than the competition, not to get a single you know, offer. Yeah. So, and I asked this question because um, you know, we all have a little bit of variation of our PTSD from that period of time in our careers. Um, okay. So, going back, so scaling your business, growing your business, right? How did you get from where you were to now, you know, doing 250 houses a year, not working so much inside your business? So it started from day one, really. I read a book on um, uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and Mm -hmm. I was big on systems, systems and people. I'm terrible at creating the systems, but I knew how important it was. So over the years, we've just built systems, and, you know, we've got some people that work with us for years. And so now it's just a matter of having good systems and people. My partner, Judd, is heavily involved in the business, and Mm -hmm. we've got a good CFO that – kind of runs it without me. Yeah. So when did you when did you go from flipping to wholesaling? So we in 2017 we we uh we hit the brakes actually that's when Robert came in and mm-hmm. uh, he's like guys you guys are making a lot more money on the wholesales. So in 2017 we went all wholesale. I think we bought one or, or zero houses. And then 2018 and 2019 came around and we started looking at we've got this massive overhead to feed. And we're wholesaling these properties, and we're looking at what the investor was doing, and they were turning around and selling them for like $80,000 more after they put the rehab in. And we just guessed on the rehab number. Mm-hmm. But so we're like, we can't leave all this money on the table. So we slowly started to rehab, and now it's like a mix of you know probably 60%, 70% wholesale yeah. and 30%, 40% rehab. So you're talking about Robert. So that's Robert Wensley, right, the founder of InvestorLift. Yeah. So you got this kid, super sharp, working in your organization. I mean... Uh, hopefully his he doesn't get his feelings hurt. What was it like working with a kid like Robert, like right out of college? So he cold called me through LinkedIn, or cold reached out to me, and mm-hmm. I um I, I had a conversation with him, and immediately I was like, we got to hire this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I've said it many times in my life, if I could bet on somebody, like hey, take a per- portion of their equity, their 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 mind, yeah. I would have done it with Robert for sure. Um, it was it was great working with him. Um, just like any entrepreneur, he's he's a true entrepreneur. He was all over the place a lot, um, but he's got a brilliant mind, obviously. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a really sharp guy. What was it that you said that he he was the ones like, hey guys, like we make just as much, if not more, in wholesaling than flipping. Like, what was what was his responsibility? So you know, I think he pointed that out, but but at the kind of at the same time, I was like. I just started Brad Chandler coaching, coaching you to freedom because I thought back then you got freedom from money. And I was literally teaching people at that time, stop rehabbing because it's the hardest part of the business. So it was almost like a confluence of events. I'm like, this rehabbing is really hard. And then he's like, well, guys, looking at the numbers, you're making more money. So we're like, huh, let's just start wholesaling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So wasn't too much pushback. He was like, it was a simple, uh, how long did did you guys work together? I think like two years. Two years. Yeah. What are some other things about him that, you know, we don't, like we get to see Robert Wensley today, right? What are some other things that we that you got to see in, in, in this kid, right, before he became who he is today? You know, uh, just so driven. 
and, mm-hmm. and, and he's probably driven for the same reasons you. I know he is because yeah. I know I know his past, right? <laughs> right. He's he's driven to prove something, mm-hmm. and it's uh, he's young and it's working great for him now. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I mean, he has his video out right now. Is that like he declined an offer for hundred million dollars for his business last year, right? It was more than hundred million. Like we had private conversations about it. Uh, so, all right. So you're talking about like you had these people that have been with you for a while. So 17 ish, you started wholesaling. Um, did you have an intention to have a large wholesaling organization back then? Because you were you wanted to be the first billion dollar realtor company. Did you have large? Steve, I always had a large <laughs> intention with everything. Like yeah. I wanted to. As soon as I started Express Home Buyers, I wanted to be a nationwide company. Yeah. I just didn't have the skill set to to make it a nationwide company. Right. Well. So I heard there was a point in time where you were coaching these guys all across the country so that you can scale nationwide or something along those lines. Is that accurate? Uh, so we had leads. We had a really strong SEO site for a while until mm-hmm. some marketer run, ran that into the ground. Um, yeah. Not quite, but uh, we don't get as many as we used to get. And so, no, we were, we were selling. We tried everything to monetize these leads. Mm-hmm. And now, knowing what we know, we could have closed these virtually. Um, now <laughs> and, and literally, we we left millions and millions of dollars right. on the table. So you were trying to have JV partners nationwide. Yeah, kind of. Now that you say that, I kind of even forgot about that. We we were we were trying to, and then we were, the plan was maybe to drive leads, and we would be the lead machine, and then we would partner with them. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? It didn't go well. <laughs> it didn't go well. We we, our, we didn't have the right technology. We didn't, we couldn't track them. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people did deals, and we never got paid back. All right. Look, I'm all over the place, right? <laughs> This is old Brad, and we'll talk more about what that means. But yeah. anything to do to make more money, I was trying to do it. Right. I created so much chaos in that business. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And now right. it's just completely different. Yeah, and you know it's funny because you're t- having this conversation, right? Because I've had I have an accountability partner. So it's my best friend. We've been best friends since like seventh grade, and ever since we both went on our entrepreneurial jersey, uh, journeys, we still have accountability conversations every single month, right? And there was one point in time he was like, Steve. There's something wrong with you. Like you got to figure this out because like every decision you make is about how to make more money. Like there's no other consideration. It's just how to make more money, right? And when you and I are gonna dive deeper into this, I was like, damn, like you don't have to put it that way, <laughs> right? Um, so everything is, is is go big. So you had when you decided to go from a flipping company to a wholesaling company, you did want to grow big. Did you have at that time? Because we've seen in the last. 24 months, this change in language from I want to scale a big company to I don't want to scale a big company. So did you have intentions of scaling big then, and do you still have a big organization? Um, I had, yes, I always had aspirations to scale big. Um, Now my focus is impact. Mm -hmm. So in the last two and a half years, since I've gone through this work and figured out my worth, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. So right. all I want to do is make an impact on this world. And so things have shifted in Express Home Buyers. We are methodically going to to grow um, because I don't need to go open 25 markets to right. make myself feel better. We don't need to go 100 miles an hour. No. So so we're just we're and we're doing great. And we're doing great and you know my net worth has climbed more in the last two and a half years since I stopped focusing on making money for the sake of making myself happy. Yeah. Here's the thing Steve, most pe- a lot of people get into business because, and a lot of real estate investors, because they want to get to this place where money, they make $5 million, $2 million, they're going to find happiness or they're going to find worthiness. Mm-hmm. What I now do, though, is I help people realize they can find that state today because there's nothing outside of yourself that's ever going to make you happy, no, believe sorry. it or not. Then when you're in the state, 
the chances of you making that money in the future is exponentially higher. There's right. studies. They, they, they look at college graduates who are happy or not happy, and then they track their income over time. Happiness brings money. People mm. think money brings happiness. It's just the opposite. Yeah. So you've talked about like this work you had to do. So what led you to this realization that you needed work? Yeah, if you ask me, there's nothing wrong with me. Like I, I thought I had a great life. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of marriages that didn't work out. I smoked weed every night for years at a time. I was like, it helps me sleep. I drank. I mean, you probably saw me sometimes. I used to throw them mm -hmm. back at, at, at CG and um, golf tournaments. I'd get nervous at golf tournaments because I was afraid of people judging me. And I would I'd be drunk by like eight thirty when the when the tournament started. Literally, I couldn't probably get in. The, I could drive a car, but I would have gotten in trouble if I got pulled over. Yeah. So I wasn't looking for help, man. I had everything going well. I was making decent money. So in your mind, a couple divorces, but in your mind, everything's fine. Everything. I'm good. I'm I'm not. Yeah, I'm good. I have a high self esteem. I don't care what others think, mm -hmm. and I have self love. Mm -hmm. and they were all just lies I was living. Yeah. So that's it's powerful though because. For someone that's listening, right, they might think this doesn't apply to me. I'm good. I don't need this. But that's what you were telling yourself as well. Yeah. So then what happened to get you to realize you were lying to yourself? Well, I tried to get my son help for anxiety. I was trying desperately to get my son help for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a friend and he's like, how's life? I was like, amazing, except my son. He's like, you got to talk to this person. So I talked to her and she's like, you have a tick. You blink profusely when you talk about your childhood. You may have some unresolved childhood trauma. I stop, I don't even like using the word trauma anymore because people tend to check out because they think when they hear trauma, they think like locked in a cage or sexually molested. Mm. That's not what trauma, that is trauma. But trauma is also your little sister coming home from the hospital and you think your mom and dad love her more than you. That's trauma. Telling you that when you cry to mm. go to your room and shut up, that's yeah. trauma. Right. So I was like, okay. Uh, she's like, this may be affecting your son. Do you want to come out and work with my, with my husband and I? And I did. And in, in so a we're talking about Annie here. Yeah. And in a weekend, in literally a three-hour session with her husband, Larry, my life forever changed. Yeah. Forever changed. And I came back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think I just figured out the secret to happiness in life. And I started talking to other people. And they're like, wow, you're really good at this. I go to therapy. And you're like, as good as a therapist. Like, and so mm -hmm. I just was like, I got to do this. This is why God put me here. Yeah. So you're talking about Annie Yatch and Larry Yatch, yep. who I've had a chance working with them, SEAL team leaders. Right. And actually had the same conversation with her. Right. Um, is I heard your success. I heard Jason Medley's success and a couple other people said, man, like having a conversation with Annie was really powerful. So I was like, all right, I'll have a conversation with her. All right. So I sat down with her over the course, I want to say like maybe an hour and a half. And it didn't take very long. Right. She was like, you know, tell me about a time where you were really happy. Right. Tell me about a time where you were really sad. Right. And I kind of just like share these stories. And then we just figure it out, right? And maybe this is true for a lot of people, but it was a revelation for me, was that, and by the way, like I wouldn't trade my life for anything, right? Like I had loving parents who love each other, who raised six boys, right? Put us all through college and engineering. Like they did everything they could do. The consequence of, of, their, of their hardworking ethic, right? Both working 60, 80 hours a week was that they were never around. And them being never around, and you know, the whole Asian culture, right? It's not like, oh, you got a 99, it's like, why didn't you get a 100, right? So this, it just led to this achievement addiction. And so uh, I had that same thing with her. I was like, crap, and this shows up in other places. And she, showed, she shared with me like, here's where it's gonna show up. 
doesn't show up at work, where people feel like you're always chasing more and that they can't keep up with you. It's like, damn. Right? Like, they're going to say they, they feel like they're on an island. It's like, yeah, they do say they're on an island. And like, you're probably having a conversation with your spouse where she feels like you don't share your love with her. It's like, damn, that's true too. So you went and had this experience. I only had 90 minutes, right? So you had a whole, you said how long? Three, it was a weekend, but the, the real magic happened in three hours. In three hours. Uh-huh. So what, were, what, what was your epiphany in those three hours? The epiphany is that, that every single problem in your life is a thinking problem, mm-hmm. and it's not your fault. No matter what you're struggling with, addiction, depression, anxiety, working too much, bad relationships, overeating, obesity, it's not your fault. That thinking problem was created in childhood when you had unmet needs or you felt stress. You came up with a story around that. I'm six years old. My dad's always gone. My mom's always gone. Why are they gone? Why is this bad thing happening to me? I must be bad. It's our brain giving us hope for a better tomorrow because if I can only be good, then my parents will start loving me the way right. that I want. Mm-hmm. So that was the epiphany is that we come up with these, these stories and our brain is just perfect. It's, it's incredible. It helps us get through those. So as a six-year-old, it's perfect. As a 47-year-old who's buying a 42-foot boat to try to take it to the Bahamas and he doesn't even know how to read a chart, that's this guy, um, it doesn't serve you too well. When you yeah. have two marriages, it doesn't, don't serve you well or don't work out, when you have two kids with anxiety, when you make $9 million worth of business mistakes, it doesn't serve you. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, that's what I figured out. And, and now the last two and a half years have by and far away been the best years of my life, and they just honestly keep getting better. Did you figure out what happened when you were six that, that, that led to this? Yeah, it was a, it, I mean, it was, a, it was a confluence of events. When, we go, when I work with clients now, they usually see a big breakthrough between three and five hours of working with me. And I use hypnosis, which is just a way to access the subconscious mind. It's just a deep state of relaxation. It's mm-hmm. not what people think, like you're you know, on stage, it's nothing like yeah. that. So yeah. usually we'll come up with three or four scenes, and those three or four scenes drive it. But it's usually never, if it's one scene, there's 100 scenes. In my case, my father didn't feel enough. Mm-hmm. He would hit me um, with a belt. He would make fun of me. I, I, was, I had a big head as a kid, so people mm-hmm. would call me pumpkin head and balloon, whatever it was. Really? And then I'd come home and be teased. My mother and father fought all the time. Um, it wasn't safe. Like it was always like always. When is he going to lose his temper? When are they going to fight next? And mm-hmm. there was a huge struggle of money. Um, so I've had money issues my whole life. Uh, my dad showed his love through money, and my mom was like, "We're going to run out of money." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you, you bring that up, right? So like I can say for sure there weren't a ton of fights about money, but there were fights about money. And I'm wondering how much like the childhood trauma and the fights about money lead us to entrepreneurship. Right. Uh, so, well, in my case, Steve, at ten years old, when my parents got divorced, my mom said we may lose the house because my father stopped helping us out financially, and she said um, we may lose the house and move into public housing. Well, as a nurse, I she visited the public housing, and I would come with her because she didn't have the money for a babysitter. She didn't want to put me with the babysitter, and I knew there were killings there. So, what do you think my ten-year-old mind said? If you run out of money, you may die. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with money to this day. Over my work, it's gotten exponentially better, but I still have trouble spending money because I think my reptilian brain, my survival mm-hmm. brain is saying, if you spend money and you lose money, you may die. Yeah. Well, that's the, the brain is a powerful tool, a powerful object. It's not perfect, but it's powerful. And so we have this imprint in us in the first zero to seven, like first seven years, six years of our lives. It's, there's some really powerful imprints. And then from seven to 13, there's some additional imprints. 
And then by 13, I think like the cake is baked, right? Like there's, you still change and evolve in this and that, but a lot of the baking has been done. Do you know, do you know that, that when, when you're in hypnosis, you're in an alpha wave, you're between alpha, alpha, and I think theta brainwave states. And that's when at nighttime, when I make a recording for my clients to listen to, to, to reprogram their mind through neuroplasticity, that's the state. When you are zero to seven years old, you're pretty much constantly in a theta state, which means you are just being hypnotized by your environment mm -hmm. for seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about that part, but yeah, I mean, the, the programming is pretty, like they, Santa's real, right? You got the Easter bunny. Like everything is just like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, hey, here's that way it is. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which is scary, right? With like everything that happens in public education today. Yeah. So that's a whole different story. So you realize two and a half, three years ago, you need some work done. Realizing it is not enough. Correct? Yeah. You got to act on it. So you got to act on it. So what did you do to work on it? So I literally came home and I had a recording that I created at the event and I constantly listened to that recording. And then it just fascinated me so much with how profoundly my life changed on in every area mm -hmm. that I was like, I got to learn more about this. So I started reading book after book after book. I've probably read 55 books since that two and a half year time period started. I started helping people. I started studying. I went back out and watched Larry take four or eight more people through the process. I then uh, studied under Gabor Mate, mm -hmm. like a world-renowned uh, physician who specialized in trauma addiction. Then I found this lady, Marissa Peer, who, who has this program called RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. It's a combination of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which is pretty much traditional therapy, and hypnosis. And I studied 500 hours online with her, and then I went out and spent a week with her in LA. Yeah. So I, I've done a lot. And then, yeah. and then and I learned so much from the clients that I work with. It's incredible. Every time I take a new client, I learn something. Yeah, so you show up differently now as a result. Completely. How have you shown up differently? Oh, my gosh. What has changed in my – what hasn't changed in my life? I'm in the best shape of my life. I mm -hmm. work out six days a week now. Um, I don't drink anymore, so there's no days that I – I skip the gym because I'm hungover. Mm -hmm. I stop smoking weed, so there's no like uh, two pints of Ben and Jerry's, um, you know, stuff <laughs> in my face at night or a bunch of Reese's. Um, I'm in a relationship of 13 months now that's completely different. So if you have marital problems or if you have intimacy problems, the re the, the relationship is never about the actual. The relationship problem is never about the actual relationship. It's the relationship each of you have with your individual selves. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So. Man, why did I have two failed marriages? Because when you lack self-worth, you always go out and find people who lack self-worth. And now you've got two people who lack self-worth, so it's a constant battle. It's either a constant battle or it's a codependent relationship where the other person's like, I can't be with this per without this person because they show me love and they validate me, so I'm just going to suck it up. Mm -hmm. So my relationship is amazing. My health is amazing. Uh, my relationship with my kids has transformed. They both, n neither of them have anxiety anymore. Um, and my business, um, I've completely changed my business and the culture has changed. Uh, I, we've never been in such a good place ever in 20 years in my mm -hmm. business. So everything has changed. So now you're enough. Now I'm enough. So there's like um, parodies, right, of this kind of stuff. Like we, I was talking to someone about uh, Stuart Smalley. Do you ever watch that on SNL? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, right? I'm good enough, smart yeah. enough. Uh, yeah. And doggone it, people like me. Yeah. <laughs> right? So what is the difference between what you've done and like, you know, going to a therapist to complain 
about or not complain, but to like vent and share about your childhood? Like what 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 is the difference? Yeah. So first of all, I'm not a therapist. I'm a happiness coach. And I'm gonna give you all the tools that you ever need to to process any negative emotion going forward in your life. Therapists serve a purpose, but their effectiveness, I went to therapy for three decades. I went to 50 different marriage counseling sessions. They wanna focus on the symptoms in the conscious brain, but it's only responsible for 5% of your behavior. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many clients I've had that once we got in hypnosis, they're like, I didn't even remember these things that were driving their behavior at 45 years old. A therapist, how would they ever get to that point? They, they, they can't. They want them, their business model is just come back every Tuesday, sit on my couch and tell me about this shit over and over. I, I was that guy for 30 years. What, what, what do I do? I get to the subconscious brain that knows the source of every single problem you have, already mm -hmm. knows it. And we just talk to the subconscious brain and figure out what it is. Yeah. And, then we re, and then we recode it by, telling, by listening to this recording at night when you're in an alpha wave brain state. Uh, do you do this in person, over the phone? Over Zoom. Over Zoom? Over Zoom. All right. Yeah. So, <coughs> excuse me. So you have a um, self-love quiz. What is that? So you were, you were talking about earlier, like, did I have an awareness? And, it's, and I told you, no, I had no idea. I thought I, was, I had a lot of self-love. I literally created this quiz for the old Brad. Because if you and I, if I would have been the real estate investor hearing this, and I heard self-love, and this was about self-love, I would have tuned out. Right. I can tell you, Steve, that... 99% of every world problem, including the wars that are going on, the childhood sex trafficking, our prisons being full, the obesity rate, the divorce rate, the addiction rate, 33% of Americans are on an antidepressant or anti-anxiety. Every 33%? Every single one of those problems comes down to an individual's lack of self-love. So I created this quiz. It's a 12-question quiz. Mm -hmm. It takes three minutes, and it literally will tell you if you have extreme self-love lack of self-love or mild self-love. Mm -hmm. If you have one of the two bottom categories, I can promise you every area of your life to some degree is negatively affected. It's just mm -hmm. it's just gonna be that way. So, but, so if you take it, don't think, oh, woe is me. Think, oh, just the opposite. Just like Brad, my life and my relationships and my net worth can change mm -hmm. profoundly. Yeah, so I took it. So you were speaking at Jamil's event over the weekend. And then so uh, you talked about it, I took it. And mine said extreme self-love. Right, which I don't know, depending that might sound out of context or sound, might sound weird out of context, right? But what does that mean? Right, let's talk. Let's start with the 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 lowest. You said lack of self love. Or yep, lack lowest? of self love and mild self love. Yep. So what is lack of self love? What does that mean? How does it show up? Lack of self love, tons of negative talk, relationships. You've probably had rocky relationships your whole life, or you're not even in a relationship because you're like, I don't even deserve a relationship. Mm -hmm. You go from one bad relationship to the next. You're in a shitty relationship. You take things personally. You have a lot of negative self-talk. You have self-destructive behavior. You, um, you have to use materials or substances to cope with your depression or, or, or just anything that happens in your life. You gotta turn to a drink. Um, <clears throat> you've, <clears throat> you've always gotta be right. Um, anything around like self-destructive, just, just in a triggered state, that is an indication that you lack self-love. <clears throat> Is it fair to describe, you know, we talk about personality profiles, high Ds, right? High Ds are like anything can trigger them. Uh, we look at, you know, uh, our previous president, Donald Trump. When I do my trainings, I always say he's the prototypical high D. Well, you see someone that behaves that way has low self-love? I don't think so, no. Okay. No, I don't think you can correlate um, a personality with, with a, with, I think, because, what is it, 25%? Is it each 
each of the four percent types. Like a true D is like less than five percent of the population. Okay, but no, the way we I, describe them in the past is they're quick to anger. So, well, um, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, now I'm saying that I was a high D. Well, I was a high D because I was driving. So I've never thought about it. But maybe you're right. Maybe a high D ha- ha- does lack self love. Yeah, right. Because it, it kind of goes back to we were talking offline. You know, I watched this uh, podcast with uh, Tom Bilyeu and this guy that was a former CIA agent right now. I love the, the the interview, and I was looking forward to it because it kept popping up in my in my TikTok feed. Right, it's like everything he's saying has to do with psychology, and I like I, I really appreciate all of it. And one of the things he talks about is like CIA actively looks for people that have experienced some variation of childhood trauma, right? Because if you experience childhood trauma and you've dealt with it, then you're a person that can work for the CIA. The other thing that we're looking for is flexible ethics. We won't talk about that, right? But um, you, you've got childhood trauma. You, you, you've, you've managed it, but you're not coping externally. Because if you're coping externally, then you're not necessarily functional, right? You could have self-destructive behaviors, right? So they're looking for people with childhood trauma and have managed it. And I look at that and I think probably so many entrepreneurs and salespeople have that as well. Because why else would we go to work every day knowing that we, adversity and failure is real why would you continuing for eight months to find a house if yeah. after eight months you've had no positive results, right? Like right. there has to be an element of, of willingness <clears throat> to persevere through adversity, having this self-belief that I'm good enough, but also the belief that I'm not worthy yet. Like how does that all play together? Look, first of all, it's complicated, right? Because – I lack self-worth, but I also had a growth mindset because mm-hmm. I did show up to these these things and I said, hey, I can do it. Mm-hmm. So while my childhood wasn't perfect, my mom did give me a lot of love and attention. She yeah. didn't do all the things she, she, she did everything she could have. Like I, don't, mm-hmm. I have no, like she, she, she did an amazing job. She sacrificed so much, but she wasn't able to give me certain things or protect me from my father based on her childhood. So it's a, it's a weird dichotomy. It is. Inside, I was saying I wasn't enough, but there was a part of me saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Mm-hmm. My conscious brain was saying, you can do this, I think, because I heard that. My subconscious brain, through the pain that I d- lived through, was like, no, you're no good. And yeah. I think that's literally why part of why I made this $9 million, $9 million worth of mistakes. It was like, you don't deserve that. You're going you're gonna to sabotage it. And I see that a lot among the client, my clients. There are a lot of entrepreneurs. Self-sabotage. Yeah. yeah. Because so, they get to a point and they're like, no, 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 we shouldn't be here. You don't deserve this. Boom, we're coming. We're bringing you back down. Yeah, bring down your, your financial <clears throat> thermostat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because there's that dichotomy of a strong ego, right? I'm good enough, but still, I got a chip on my shoulder. I got to prove this to somebody. Yeah. Right. And I kind of when we were t- I was talking about Andy about that's it, like yeah I think there's this element like, uh, so how did we get praise right as a kid? Because mom and dad are super busy and they got six kids. How do you get praise? Achievement. Achievement. Right. And you, you, if you were not achieving, right, you didn't get any attention, unless you're misbehaving, that's not the attention we yearn for. So the only way to get attention was to achieve. Well, there's a couple more. Go ahead. So, so, so kids that aren't, um, don't, aren't seen, heard, and understand take on one of four roles. Mm-hmm. One is the high achiever, the perfect, perfect kid, straight A's, the star athlete. Uh, one is the rebellion, which you just mentioned. The third is the carer. So they're taken care of. I can't tell you how many people come to me because they were like the parent to their child. They were the parent to their to their parent. They were the parent yeah. to their parent, excuse me. Yeah, they had to take care of They had to of take adult. care of it, yeah. When you're given the role, or they were given the role of taking care of their siblings. 
Mm-hmm. When you're given the role of a parent as a child, you can't succeed. So if you can't succeed, what do you think you're telling yourself? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Yeah. The fourth is the sick one. So literally, your body can create any freaking thing on the pl- any illness mm-hmm. on the planet. Po- they've done studies in Japan where they they rub something on the the participants' arms. They got poison ivy. It wasn't poison ivy. They then told the they they split them, of course, mm-hmm. and then they said this is a cream that's going to fix it. It was nothing. They went away. Mm-hmm. So your body, asthma, food allergies, headaches, uh, it's getting the attention from the parent. So those are the four roles that, that you can play as a child to get what you you don't get. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard that one. But and, I and, and if you have four siblings, they'll each take a different role typically. Yeah. Well, and I had that. Uh, I was the one that had to achieve but also take care of my siblings, right? Like you, Steve, have to take care of your younger brothers if anything happens to us. We're expecting you to make sure they all graduate and get good jobs. So it, I, I have to say, like, it is, uh, first of all, probably only about 5% of people score extreme self-love. With what you've told me over the last 24 mm-hmm. hours of your childhood, yeah. it is absolutely remarkable that you score extreme self-love. There there must be areas of your life that it, it, that it affects you. <laughs> oh, there is. There's absolutely areas where it affects me. And then, again, it goes back to uh, in within the organization, right? Because I'm always chasing more, always chasing more. And so uh, I've had so many people within my organization is like, I feel abandoned, right? Like you're so focused on the next initiative, on the next project that like, we're like, we feel like we're, uh, we don't get the attention, which I've always struggled with, right? Because it's like, what the hell are you talking about? You know exactly where I am. Like I have this office for all of us here and I've always responded, right? Anytime anyone's need help, this is the care. Anytime anyone in my organization needs help, I will take the time to help them. So I never understood where this is coming from because I was always supportive. But I also know that even when I say, like, I'm always here to help you guys, people still feel intimidated to ask me for my help. I don't understand it. I just I just accept it, right? So I think that was the first thing, right? That's what Annie said. This is where it shows up. Other places it shows up, again, uh, the, the number one challenge in my marriage is because I'm incapable of feeling processing emotions mm. right my wife is un- at times unsure and my resiliency i'm extremely resilient right like n- there's nothing you can do to me that's going to get me down right i took a test with phil green like on their perception predict uh, perception prediction whatever like i'm a 99 percent grit like there's nothing you can do to knock me down right no matter what happens the world will be falling apart i'll be fine i'll figure this out and so this i'll be fine i'll figure it out is scary to a woman that wants to be loved, right? Yeah. And then the same thing with my kids. Uh, so that I have this, I brought this prop out here, right? This is, it says anger here. Uh, this is a crayon my team made for me, right? Because when we were going through this whole exercise with Larry Atch, it was, uh, you know, uh, he has a very few emotions, right? Because of his time in the, as a Navy SEAL. I was like, oh, I kind of have similar things as well. And so my daughter, my oldest says, Steve, uh, dad, you have two feelings, anger, angry and happy. And Vivian, my second kid, is like, ah, no, dad has two feelings. He's angry and, and disappointed. It's like, Damn. Yikes. Right? So even though they're being funny, there's also some truth in there. Right? And so, like, how am I showing up for my kids? Mm. And so I have to be intentional in making sure that they can sit in their feelings. Right? So, like, things we talk about, I don't ask them, why are you crying? I'll ask them, how come you're crying? Hey, what's going on? You know, like, if there's anything you need to talk through, like, dad will be here for you. And because I've studied NLP, I can work through and let you speak freely on your emotions 
and extract more so you can sit in your emotions. But I also, we don't stay in the emotions, right? Like we process emotions. What, what are we feeling? Why are we feeling that way? Once we understand why we're feeling that way, we can move on. But I don't shut down the emotions like I got being the oldest son of six immigrants or six boys, six oldest of six sons in an immigrant family. Wow. So can we talk a little about your wife? You're Absolutely. comfortable going there? Yeah. So you said at Jamil's event that when you were crying or had some type of emotion, mm -hmm. you were told, stop, right? Why are you crying? Stop crying. And jokingly, I'll give you something to cry about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So as children, we have two primary needs. This is from one of my mentors, Gabor Mate. Mm -hmm. Attachment, which is we are the only species or the, the, the main species that needs more care than anyone, right? Babies can be born in other cats or birds and they can, reptiles, they can take care of themselves. Adults, uh, humans can't. So we need this, this attachment. If we're not attached to an, to an adult, we're gonna die, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have this need for authenticity. Authenticity means the ability to feel your feelings, mm -hmm. to be your true self, self yeah. to speak your mind. Because if you look at the, if, if we were on this planet for which we have been hundreds of thousands of years, we've only not being uh, chased by the lion for like a fraction, right? Yeah. So what would happen if you didn't have authenticity in the wild? How long would you survive? If you saw a lion and you didn't follow your gut, how long would you survive? Not very long. Not very long. So now you're as a child, your parents can't take your emotions mm -hmm. because they couldn't handle them. Right. So, so when you emit emotions, they're like, you cannot do that, it is bad. So you interpret that, that if, if I show my emotions, I'm not gonna get love. Yeah. So what do you do? You suppress it. You suppress it, but you change who you are. Right. So you lose your authenticity. You have, you know, what happens when you stuff down something? Depress, right? Mm -hmm. What is depression? It, depression is just stuffing down emotions. Mm -hmm. So I thought about you these last 24 hours when you made that statement. You have a hard time talking about your emotions. Your survival brain is saying, if I be my true self and talk about my emotions, what's going to happen? My attachment is going to go, and mm -hmm. that attachment in your survival brain is saying, I'm going to die. Right. So you literally... Our, our, your brain is like, when, when I bet you, you can't stand when emotions come up. You probably get like frightened, right? You're like, I don't want to go there. Uh, there's hesitation for sure. Yeah. That's your brain saying yeah. there's danger, danger, danger. Yeah. So now that you know that, I've created this thing called the joy regenerator that mm -hmm. your listeners can go to bradchannel.com forward slash joy. And it teaches you how to process your emotions. Mm -hmm. When you feel a negative emotion, Steve, you're in fight or flight. 100% of the time, you're yeah. out there looking for the lion, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not in the in the current, and you're not in the uh, present moment. You're in the past. So take a couple deep breaths and get into the present. Then identify the emotion. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling scared. Mm -hmm. As soon as you use your thinking brain to 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 say I'm thinking, you're kicking out of the fight or flight and into your prefrontal uh, prefrontal cortex, the thinking yeah. brain. You then give yourself compassion because you didn't get compassion as a child. Right. So it's okay, Steve, because it's a little six-year-old boy inside of you. And then you're going to say, where did it come from? Well, now we know where it came from. Mm -hmm. It came from when my parents shut me down. So you can say, what are three grateful things about my wife? I love her. She's a great mother. She's, she's whatever, whatever the three grateful things are. Knowing that you're not the little six-year-old boy, you can snap back into joy or you can open up and you can say to your wife, this is what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. This tool is magical. Take it one step further. When your wife does something that makes you feel this emotion, you can say, what's your wife's name? Chow. Chow. 
hey, what you just did made me feel sad. It's not your fault, but can we discuss it so that I can heal and we can become closer as a couple? Mm -hmm. She's going to be like, who is this guy? Like, use it tonight, tomorrow, whatever. She's going to be like, what happened to you? (laughs) You know, it's funny you talk about that because as a sales trainer, I'm pretty proud of my ability to, to teach communication and communicate, right? But where it consistently fails is in the marriage because... Uh, I, we just went through, I, I just went through men are from Mars, right? Women from Venus. And the, the, I don't know, the reptilian brain or whatever, but whenever she says, I feel sad or angry, to me as a, as a man, I get defensive. What did I do? What am I being blamed for to cause you to feel sad or angry? I have to remember to detach. When she's saying she feels this way, she's not blaming me. She's sharing her emotion. But man, it's really hard to detach those two. And Steve, where are her emotions coming from? Her six-year-old self. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. So when you're arguing with your wife, it has nothing to do with the actual argument or the situation. It's you two going back to your past and bringing a meaning in to that because your brain's like, danger, I've got to go to the time where someone Mm -hmm. else made me feel this way. So now knowing that, you don't ever have to feel that way again. Or if you do... You know, my trigger used to, my ex-wife would come to me and she'd say, you just made me mad. I would turn it on her, fight. I'd fight. I'd had to fight. And then I'd flight. For three days, I would be completely distant. Now in my relationship Mm -hmm. with Yvonne, she'll come to me and knowing that I don't have to prove anything and I'm worthy, I'll be like, okay, I'm sorry that I upset you. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to fight anymore. I don't have to flight. It's amazing. And now conflict actually brings us together. So if you don't have conflict in your job, or your home or your intimate relationships, something's wrong. Like uh, uh, tr- conflict is a really, really good thing that can bring you closer together. Intimate relationships are where unresolved childhood trauma will most rear their ugly heads, but it's the greatest place in the world to heal it if you have two people willing to work together. Yeah, and that's a great point, right? Because that's you remind me of that valuable lesson that whenever you're having a fight, it's a six-year-old boy fighting with a six-year-old yes. girl. It yes. is not you and your wife. It's your six-year-old version fighting with her six-year-old version. Yes. It's crazy yes. to think about. It is crazy to think about. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, lo- I, try, I try to use the word crazy because yeah. it's judgment. Yeah. Everything is interesting now. Yeah. So we talked about low self-love. What's, what is middle? Was it medium? Mild self-love. Mild self-love. So it's really, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go to extreme self-love because it's just a combination. It's just, sure. it's just like, it's, there's a lot of sometimes in there, right? Got it. Extreme self-love is not what a lot of people think, the narcissist that thinks they're better. I have extreme self-love. You don't, You have extreme self-love. Yeah. I don't think I'm better than anyone, but on the flip side, I don't think I'm any worse. Yeah. I think that I'm just as good and important as any other human being that's ever lived and walked on this planet. That's how I feel, right? Mm-hmm. So extreme self-love is you have amazing relationships, deeply connected relationships. You don't take things personally. You don't have self-destructive eating or drugs or sexual habits. You don't have any type of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't take things personally. You don't have to be right. You don't get offended by little things that other people wouldn't get offended about. That's extreme stuff. You treat your no negative self talk. Mm-hmm. I have not said something negative myself in probably a year, and I I caught myself saying idiot, and I'm like, no, no, no I'm not an idiot. People constantly barrage themselves with negative self talk. It's and your mind. Well, your body will give you exactly what your mind w- w- says, says it or pictures, it, it, that either words or pictures. You're going to get that. I'm fat. 
you're going to be fat. Mm -hmm. I'm no good. You're going to be no good. So you've got to treat yourself like a best friend. If you wouldn't say it to your best friend, don't say it to yourself. Love yourself. When you're feeling that little of a negative, if, if, you, if that analogy you used is right, you're fight, when you argue, you're fighting with the six-year-old, your wife, right? So whenever you feel a negative emotion, Steve, it's the six-year-old little boy inside of you. If a little six-year-old boy walked up to you, this isn't good for you because you treat yourself what, but, but for the listeners listening to this, when you feel sad, it's your little six-year-old. If your little six-year-old self came up and pulled on your coat and said, I'm feeling really anxious and sad, would you say you're an idiot? Like, suck it up? No, I hope yeah. you wouldn't. Yeah. You would pick him up and you would say, I love you, little guy. I've got you. We're going we're gonna to make, make, make it through this together. That's how you need to start treating yourself. And when you do, mm -hmm. your whole life will change. Everything will become like magical. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Um, so... Listening to the podcast. Take, your, the, take the quiz. That's the first thing. Oh, yeah. Everyone go to bradchandler.com slash quiz. I took it. It's eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's, all change has to begin with awareness. If you're listening and you're like, that's not me, okay. You might be right. Maybe you're like Steve and I, and maybe you have extreme self-love. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're the 5% of people, but maybe you're not. And maybe that's why your business sucks. Maybe that's why you've been divorced three times. And maybe that's why you drink so much. Listen, none of this is your fault, and it's not your parents' fault either. Yeah. That's not what I do. I don't try to cast blame on your parents. Just the opposite. I get you to a point where when you find self-love, you actually become close to your parents because you realize they really did do the best they could do. Yeah, yeah. there's no blame on my end, right? Like, like I said, I wouldn't trade places. Like They did everything they could, yeah. and my life was pretty good, Yeah. right? Um, so you listen to the podcast. You ever listen to Pardon the Disruption? Uh, I haven't, no. Okay. Were you a family when I we were was, doing it on yeah. stage? So I got it one time. Yeah. So you got to see that, right? So I selected this panel very specifically, right? I reached out to Eric Brewer because I think he is the wittiest, sharpest guy on his feet. I love Eric. Right? I don't think there's anyone faster on their feet than Eric. Chris Jefferson and RJ Bates. And I picked Chris and RJ because when we were doing Close Olympics back in 2020, they were, we were encouraged to talk trash to each other. And RJ just delivers it ruthlessly, nonstop. Chris didn't deliver as much. Like I, 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 I did deliver it more. But what was really cool is there's nothing you can say to rattle the guy, right? Like he just he was Chris, Chris Jefferson. He's calm. He's cool, right? So this was the panel we picked this on purpose, and the reason why I picked them was because they're really good at talking trash, and you couldn't hurt their feelings. Right, and this is something like it's a pet peeve of mine because I love the trash talk. If someone dishes it and can't take it, I just really struggle having respect for, <laughs> for the other person, right? And so these guys can dish it, and they can take it. So I'm curious on that scale of self love, right? They can't be offended; they're they're unoffendable. Like how? What? What is? What does that tell you? Um. Whew, you made this a tough question, dude. Because right, I, I, I know those people. Yeah. And so I have more insight than you might think. Gotcha. Um I there there's there's taking offense and then there's not reacting to it. Mm -hmm. So I think people can be hurt. How many times I mean you were hurt your not your entire, a lot of your childhood, you were yeah. hurt. Did you did you outwardly show it? I never outwardly showed so, it. So so if a cl classmate saw you, he'd be like, Oh, well, Steve doesn't it doesn't matter what Steve's parents say about him. Mm -hmm. Right, but it really did matter. It shaped your entire life. It, it shaped my entire life. Yeah. So just by the outward appearance that someone gives you mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're not being hurt inside like terribly. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I wanted to get that that perspective. So um, let's see where else would I want to go with this. So now, 
do you feel like you no, you no longer have a chip on your shoulder? I no longer have a chip. I've shifted from trying to prove my worth to just making an impact on this mm-hmm. world. And that's why with my company, Express Home Buyers, I constantly am trying to help people. I mentor people. I'm looking at growth like strategically not to try to help myself you know, prove my worth. And then all I do, I spend an hour a week in that and probably 35, 40 hours a week in the coaching business mm-hmm. just helping people. Like I love taking someone who has no joy or an addiction or depression or shitty marriage mm-hmm. And in five weeks, three to five weeks, completely transforming them. So no, I'm just focused on impact, impact, impact now. And here's the interesting thing. Like I said earlier, my net worth has jumped. And if I'm back on this podcast in three or five years, I bet you, Steve, that more I will make more money in the coaching business, Mm -hmm. not trying to. What I'm trying to do, I wake up every day, is how can I get more help and more success from my clients? And just by focusing on that, the money's gonna come Mm -hmm. because I love it so much. I could literally sit with psychology books for eight hours a day, give me a beach umbrella and a beach for the next 20 years and never get bored. Real estate, I'd be like 10 minutes through a book, I'd be like ready to, ready to find another one. Yeah. So we do have to get back to answering the question though, right? How are we doing so many deals working an hour a week? So we do have to answer that question. So only because it's the title of the show. So what does your organization look like today? So you have, you have one partner? I have a partner, yep. You have a partner and then you have like, uh, how big is your your wholesaling operation so, uh, as far as body count goes? As far as body count goes? Yeah. Yeah, so we've got like I think 11 full-time virtual assistants, mm-hmm. and then I think we have like 13 people in our home office in Springfield, a CFO, kind of an assistant to a CFO, an operations person, my partner, a guy who heads up disposition, someone kind of in accounting and closing, and then five acquisition staff. Five acquisition staff. Mm-hmm. They're different than the 13. You said how many salespeople in Springfield? Uh, 13 virtual assistants in the Philippines. 11, 12, 13. I don't know how many we have now yeah. uh, in, in the Philippines. And then 13 full-time people in Springfield. Okay. And Springfield is? Virginia, right outside of D.C. And so we operate in the D.C. metro area, the Baltimore metro area, and L.A. L.A. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And so um, are they... Doing it virtually in LA? Like, how is that working? No, we actually had a, a sales guy, a home buying specialist, move out to LA to be with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. We were going to have him close virtually. And about a year and a half ago, I'm like, why aren't we spending marketing dollars here? So we started spending marketing dollars mm-hmm. and we're not killing it because we're not spending a ton, but we're, we're doing well. It's It's been yeah. pretty cool. So what is your primary marketing channel? TV. TV. Uh, because you have a brand. Right, I mean, you've been Express Home Buyers for really, twenty years, really long time. Yeah, so I imagine your brand is pretty well respected in that area. Um, you have a lot of, and you talk about SEO. Are you still investing in SEO? We've uh, a little bit, a little bit. We're getting yeah. ready to go through a pretty big kind of like rebranding. Cut. We're doing Story Brand as well, mm-hmm. um, and so we're going to start doing a lot more things. Yeah, gotcha. So. Yeah, so you got basically 250 plus. That's between Virginia or DMV and uh, LA. Yeah, 90 uh, of the 4,000 deals we've done, 80%, 75% have been in probably DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, 98% have been in DC and, and Baltimore metros. And then gotcha. we've, done, we've, done, we've done deals in many states, but they were just like onesies, twosies. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I imagine you're probably bumping every once on our old friend Frank. 
Uh, not much. No, really? Frank, Frank is pr- in Richmond. We're, we're, we're not doing much in Richmond. Oh, so that's pretty yeah. far apart. Two hours away. Two hours away. Gotcha. Okay, so hopefully that can answer the question for you guys. Uh, how has this journey in, in you know, pursuing happiness, uh, how has this impacted your organization? Oh, my gosh. Like, I was the guy who was driving all the chaos. I was. I, I remember a time, I don't even remember, 2000, was it before the crash, after the crash? It was 15 years ago, so it doesn't really matter, where I went to Virginia Beach by myself, opened an office, and hired like three people. And we, we, it, well, it was in 2008 because, because I know why. Because I remember we couldn't even, we didn't even have a system for keeping the brochure boxes filled in front of the houses we had in DC. But I was going to Virginia Beach to open a market. Mm-hmm. So chaos. I was always like, uh, we did an exit interview with a guy one time, and he said, if you don't like what Brad and Judd are doing, just wait a week. <laughs> Because it was always just like shiny object. I'd be like this, 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 this. And it was all driven from <coughs> from not when you don't feel enough, mm-hmm. nothing is enough. Mm-hmm. You need more drinks. You need more women. You need more booze. You need more money. It doesn't matter if you have a million dollars or $10 million or $100 million. Look at Prince, Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse. It doesn't matter. When you don't feel enough, nothing is enough. So nothing ever was enough. It doesn't matter how many deals we did. We got to do more. We got to hire more people. Why aren't you working harder? Mm-hmm. And that's all changed. Now it's focused on like, how do we make an impact? How do we do things? How can we help our seller more? How can we get better reporting for our um, uh, our investors? Just impact, impact, helping people. Uh, so if I were to interview Brad five years ago, would he be this demeanor or would he be like have a different demeanor? Uh, he might have been going a little faster, but I get pretty excited when I talk about the happiness stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah, I've, I've slowed it down a bit. So you were talking about how, you know, you're always chasing the next thing, right? The shiny object syndrome. And I'm guilty of it as well. Um, so one thing that's helped me a lot uh, in, in going through the whale club and figuring out, like, how much do you really need? And once I was able to figure out how much you really need, I, wa- I am pushing everyone just a little bit less, right? And figure out, like, what do we have to do to execute well? So before it was, like, more, more, more deals, more deals, more. Let's, let's, let's add this marketing channel. Let's add this marketing channel. Let's add this tool. Let's add this whatever. Now it's like, how can we just do what we're doing better? And it's a very different conversation, right? And so you were saying your team probably is a little bit relieved that Brad is not trying to crush this next thing, this next objective. Yes, constantly change, change, change. Like, let's just do, let's just spend six months doing something. Like, we don't need to go double, triple it. Mm-hmm. Let's just have the revenue and the net income coming in for six months, mm-hmm. all right? Just, just And so I heard that, and I, I took it, and, and yeah, things, things have been a lot more yeah. calm. And Are you coaching your, uh, your staff? Are you coaching your salespeople on all these principles? I am. Yeah. Any, any chance that I get, but I'm, I've got some, I've, I've been busy with clients. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had someone recently reach out on my team and I've already started to help him through. He mm-hmm. went through a breakup and yeah, it's um the first person I ever helped was a virtual assistant um, that had been in with us for a couple of years. And she came to me a year or two, two years ago. She had major anxiety. She was sleeping two to three hours a night. She had massive migraines. And in three sessions, her anxiety was like boop, down, no more migraines. She went from sleeping like three hours a night to eight hours a night. And she's like, my relationship with my husband and my son have gotten so much better. So imagine how many people, if you're listening and you have employees, 80 
3% of Americans identify as not being very happy. Mm. You have people on your staff right now in this bill. 83% identify as not being very happy. Mm -hmm. So you have people right now in your organization, Steve, that have addiction problems, marital problems, eating problems, self-destructive behaviors. How do you think that's impacting your organization? It impacts everyone. So it does. So when you can when you can find this inner peace and inner happiness, like your your income's gonna go up, your company's gonna get better, your health, your relationships. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. And I'm gonna do just a quick self-plug for myself. So I got a chance to work with your team on the sales training. Right? Yep. Um, what did you see? in working with us on the sales training side. Are we no longer working with you? Um, I'm not saying that you're not. I'm just saying, what did you see <laughs> oh, from because, you Because you when you said there? that in Jamil's event, like I worked with him, I thought we were still working with you. And if yeah. we're not working with you, I was going to tell my team, yeah. let's continue to no, work yeah. with him. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying like, because you were involved quite a bit. <clears throat> no, the uh, staff initially. all the staff was always, um, always got a lot out of your conference. And I was on some of those too a yeah. couple years ago. Uh, you do a fantastic job. You, you, you were really helpful. Yeah. And then do you think... How much, you know, because you study a lot of NLP, how much do you think NLP translates into running an appointment? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, a fair amount, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I had a crazy high closing percentage because I was doing some closing after I went through my transformation. Mm -hmm. And I think I got way better because I finally had empathy and compassion. Yeah. And I looked at them as human beings and not so much as how much money can I make off of them. Mm -hmm. And I think people really connected with me. Yeah. So I think a lot of the stuff that you do is is kind of like what I teach, just, you know. Different application. Yeah, like just tell me like, oh, you're not feeling great. Like, w w not feeling great, you know? Yeah, it's funny, right? Like how much that stuff Translates. I mean, like NLP, you said you studied a lot of it. I haven't studied a lot of NLP, okay. um, a fair amount. Yeah, because like I went through like this whole, like this period of time where I was like reading every NLP book, you know, and it has to do like, it's funny, like it all comes, a lot of it's derived from just studying one therapist, right? Milton Erickson. So they're just studying therapists. Like, well, he's well, a hypnosis guy too. Well, he was, he was a natural hypnotist. <laughs> so like this is a guy who hypnotizes people his whole life unintentionally. And all they did was just two therapists studying another therapist, and they came up with all these principles for neuro linguistics programming. Wow! So it's really it's, it was uh, for me it was a really interesting journey and stuff that I go I still go through from time to time. So talk to me now, like what does your day look like now? Now that you're, I mean you 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 have more purpose. I mean when you started Brad Chandler coaching, it wasn't for this. I started it five. I started in 2017. I shut it down because Express Home Buyers needed us. We went through a rough patch. Um, I, I reopened it or relaunched it like two years ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, what do I spend my time doing now? Pretty much helping clients. Yeah. I have people come to me that have all kinds of different issues. A lot of people have racing minds because, again, they've got that proverbial line chasing them. They work too much and it's hurting their relationships. They have eating problems, anxiety, a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And literally, we just have this five-week process that that is just miraculous with the results. And the real magic comes in week three with the hypnosis. It's mm -hmm. just, I have not, of the of the 80 people, 100 people I've taken through, there hasn't been one person who, when that finished, they were like, oh my gosh. And I say, how do you feel? They're like, I feel like this weight has been lifted off my chest because we carry this burden of this, I'm not enough, I don't belong, I'm not lovable. For all these years, and it's an untruth, 
You can't suffer if you live in the truth. I mean, do you know that most human suffering, 99% of, of human suffering is self-inflicted, and it's, in, it's inflicted by our thoughts, these untruths that were formed through childhood mm. programming and trauma, that all you have to do is reverse them and everything changes. Yeah. So you mentioned you know, your net worth is growing. You can travel whenever. I see this nice photo, right, with you, your shirt off on the beach. <laughs> Seems to be enjoying life pretty good. Um, where do you see this going like down the road in, in, in your future? I turned 50 this year, and I'm manifesting to live to be 110. When people come to us that have these, this lack of self-love, they always have relationship issues. Mm -hmm. So w before I even took my first relationship person, I knew I was going to get into relationships. So the next level, so the individual, let's get you right. And now that you're right, your spouse has to be right, or there's going to be some friction, right? So let's talk about that. So it's it's individual relationships. And then I was literally like two years ago watching the show on um, Gwyneth Paltrow Goop, and it was about sexuality. And it opened my mind up to this whole new level of sexuality. So that I want to make that a pillar. And then I'm a health and longevity nut, right? So I want to add that. And then a lot of people that come to me as a byproduct of lack of self-love, they have no purpose. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. So those will kind of be the next pillars. And, you know, I have visions of opening a wellness center in Costa Rica, maybe. Um, I'm a big boater. So in the next year, I'm going to have a bigger boat that has three or four cabins. And I want to take a couple, I want to take like three or four couples every month mm -hmm. and take them through the Caribbean or the Bahamas and do this transformative process in a weekend. So yeah. they come out with, if they've got a bad marriage, they come out with, you know, just a completely different marriage and, and lifestyle. So let me ask you this, right? Because you're talking about like a bigger boat and like doing more things. And I struggle with this part still, right? With the well club, because I know what I want. I know how much is enough. But just because I know how much is enough doesn't mean that I'm not still wanting to do more. So am I enough or I am enough? Is that a violation or is there an inconsistency of still wanting to do more, even if you are enough? No, not at all, because I'm enough, but I want to make an impact. Mm -hmm. I have, have been given this gift by Larry mm -hmm. that changed my life forever and will change my, my generation of my family forever, right? Mm -hmm. I've got to give it back. Um, do I need to go prove anything? No, I don't need to go prove anything. But I've got a gift. I'm amazing at helping people transform their lives, and I love it. So why, am, why wouldn't I do more? Why wouldn't I build this really cool company? But here's the difference. It's the first company I've ever started from when I was in seventh grade selling blow pops in school illegally that I didn't ever think about how much money can I make. It's always how many people and, and how much effect can I have on people. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. And it's, it's it so different when you measure it and you come at it from that standpoint. You look at everything differently. Yeah. So you sold candy as a kid. I sold candy as a kid, yeah. Me too. I got in trouble. Me too. They shot me down. Yeah. I had like $70 in change, and I was like, I was, I was like so rich. <laughs> I was making so much money, right? Making 20 bucks a week, right? <laughs> Buying candy for... I was buying these little Limon packets for five cents, selling for a quarter. I go to the store at five bucks, walk out, which, you know, after everything, 25 bucks. So it's 20 bucks a profit. But it only lasted a couple of weeks before I got shut down. Steve, I would, I would go to this CVS bottom. They're called People's Drug in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'd buy a bag of blow pops, the gum inside the lollipop. I'd buy one thing. I'd rip open the coupon because then it was like 15 cents off the next bag. I'd buy the next bag. I think they were like two, three, four cents. And I would sell them between like 25 and 50 cents. It, yeah. was, it was amazing. It's a good deal. <laughs> um, 
So you, on top of what you got going on, you also started a podcast. Yeah. So if you guys have any interest in like what we've been talking about, uh, we, we launch a show a week. We've got like 60 and we've got an amazing response from it. It's mm-hmm. called How to Be Happier for Entrepreneurs. And I get people on the show who, who have had massive transformations um, and tell their story or walk through their story. Or I bring on healers who are also doing the work of, mm-hmm. of helping people have massive transformations. So yeah, definitely. It's on all the, you know, all of the big platforms and YouTube, How to Be Happier for Entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's awesome. So you know, we talked a lot about impact and like Childhood trauma. Actually, let me just talk real quick about childhood trauma. You know, we, we already touched on it a little bit, but, you know, Larry Ash was on the show here. And one of the things he talked about was, like, childhood trauma, you were saying, like, it's not being uh, molested. It's not being locked in a cage. It's that it's something that's impact, in, impacted you your whole life, right? It doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter anything. All that matters is, it, did it affect you for more than 20 years? That is trauma, right? So uh, so you're, you're doing a lot of different things. What is your Why? My why is that I have experienced something that I never thought I experienced in my life, and I was given a gift, mm-hmm. and I and I want to give this gift back to other people. When I get the text from, um, you know, we have a mutual friend in CG. I got a text from him saying, "Thank you for changing my life, and my family's life forever." Yeah. That's my why. That's my yeah. why. That's impact, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not just a little bit. Like, hey, I helped them through this hurdle. It's like. You're changing this trajectory. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. This person came to me with his marriage on the brink, and a year later, his marriage is is he'll tell you is amazing, right? Yeah. And did I ever sit down and have a marriage therapy session? Did I ever meet his wife? Did I ever talk to her? No. What I did is I got I got him loving himself and reconnecting with himself. That's mm-hmm. it. When we go through this stressful time, Steve, we disconnect from ourselves. So the real essence here is just a disconnection from yourself. When you reconnect to yourself and start feeling your heart, everything changes. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's powerful. And your heart now, they're, they're realizing, is more powerful than the brain. It, they, there's a group of nerves in your heart mm-hmm. called the cardiac intrinsic ganglia. It is, it, from an electrical power standpoint, it's 100 times more powerful. From a magnetic power standpoint, it's 5,000 more times powerful than the brain. So... They have done studies that show that your heart has intuition that knows eight seconds before something actually happens. So when you get connected to your mind, when you connect your heart to your mind, magic and miracles happen. But when you've gone through pain, when your heart's been shut down like yours and mine was Mm -hmm. as a child, we stop listening to the heart. There's another brain inside of our heart. That's where the magic happens. Yeah. Well, is that different than the gut? It's totally different from the gut too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without that's why I stopped drinking alcohol because I went through this thing called brain camp, and they give you the superfood, and without good neural, without good gut health, you cannot have good neural health. It's impossible. When you drink, you kill your good gut bacteria. Mm. So yeah, the the body. I mean, they have so much more to learn about the human body and the brain and the heart. It's it's silly. Uh, Yeah, that's very interesting. Using interesting versus. Good, good job. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest struggle today? Biggest like starting a company is hard, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've done it once and I've scaled it, but I just I, I underestimated it. it it's, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, so it's just it's just here's my biggest struggle. My girlfriend would tell you this, Yvonne. I just want to do too much still, still mm-hmm. because I just want to help so many people. But she's like, Brad, before we put the gas down, this is this is the the old Brad a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, before we put the gas down, we've got to get all our systems right, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, no, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. Mm-hmm. So it's an amazing balance because she's kind of pulling me back, but I'm kind of pulling her forward too. Yeah. So the biggest struggle is just still going at my own pace, or not going at my own pace, just slowing down and knowing that everything is happening. Mm-hmm. Everything in my life happens to me for a reason. Everything yeah. in your life happens to you for a reason. So I have no bad days anymore. I'll never have a bad day the rest of my life because what I think is bad, who knows? My second wife up and walking out on me in my marriage, I thought in, during COVID, sorry, I thought that was the worst thing ever. Now looking back, it was one of the better things that ever happened to me. So you get to live your life as everything happens for you. And if you do that, you're mm. never going to have a bad day again. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing you talk about is this old brass showing up. One of the things that we talk a lot inside the whale club is the power of restraint, right? So like most of the population struggles with taking action, right? That's just most people just, they'd rat their, their in analysis process, right? But then we got this sliver, this smaller fraction who wants to go, 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 go. And all we talk about in whale clubs, like, hey, like go, slow down a little bit. Slow down. Just slow down a little bit, yeah. right? Just, just let the other things catch up, right? So it's, it's a hard thing. It, to it, to consistently remember. It is hard because two years ago, I was still working a couple hours a week in Express Home Buyers, and I'd often would be like, I'm going kite surfing today, and I'd drive to Delaware Beach, and I'd kite surf. Or my friend would call, and she'd say, hey, do you want to go um, uh, surf behind the boat, wake surfing? And I'm like, sure. I filled my schedule so much that I can't do that anymore. And I'm thinking like, what, why am I doing this? Like, I don't need to do anything. I could go to the beach every single day. I don't want to go to the beach every single day because I want to help people. So it's a balancing act. I've got to remind myself that, Brad, you know what? You don't need – and believe me, I, I'm not perfect. Like if this, is a, this is a lifelong journey, right? Mm-hmm. So I put a lot on my plate, and then sometimes I get a little bit of like, oh, my God, I got a lot to do. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Show up for the client calls because you don't want to miss those. But other than that, you don't have to do anything. But my mind is like I want to build all this great stuff because the more I build, the more people I can help. Right. Well, you know what's possible. Yeah. And that's, for me, I say is, is the biggest struggle, knowing what's possible. And then again, like, what's enough? Um, so then how do you right now measure success? Wow. Um, every day is a success. When, when you wake up and you get to do exactly what you want to do, that success. Success is also liberation. And my de- definition of liberation is not allowing any person or situation to negatively affect me. And Larry said that mm-hmm. two nights before my, my, my exercise he took me through three years ago. And I thought to myself, this guy's nuts. Like, how can anyone? And here I am almost three years later, and I can't tell you how close I am. Like, I hardly ever get angry mm-hmm. or triggered. And if I do, it lasts for seconds because I pull out in my head the joy regenerator that I was speaking about earlier, and I, I run through the process. What am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling sad like this person's not respecting me. It's okay, Brad, you're feeling sad. Where is this coming from? Oh, shit. My dad would make fun of me or hit me. Mm-hmm. But he, but this person isn't my dad, so I'm going to snap right back to joy. And, and it's literally like nanoseconds or two mm-hmm. seconds, and I'm back to joy. Yeah. Where, whereas before, I used to get pissed. Someone did something. Anytime someone challenged me or challenged who I was as a person, my little subconscious brain was like, see, I told you you weren't enough, mm-hmm. and I had to fight. All right. Now I'm just like, ah, it doesn't matter. If someone comes at you and they're attacking you and they're judging you, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with their little six-year-old self. So you get to respond in, in just the opposite. If you're judging another human being, you've got something inside of yourself that needs to be addressed yeah. because otherwise you'd look at that person with compassion. 
that was one of the ones that was not at zero. The judgment part. Um, but yeah, you know, you talk about like the, this thing that, that, that makes you angry. I can say for sure, you know, the things that where I get triggered is not when people make mistakes. It's when I want to do something and I can't do it. Right? There's something I want to do. I can't do it. It's coming from a position of authority, right? That's restricting me, but not authority that I respect. Like, it's just like this combination, right? Just think back like in a movie theater, you know, when someone says you can't bring in your little brother because it's rated our movie. It's just like these little things where like I can't control my destiny is what triggers me. Can you think of what that might be? Well, that's lack of control. Yeah. Lack of control. And and you probably didn't have a lot of control in your childhood because you were told you got to take care of your brothers. Mm-hmm. Stop your emotions. That's what it's from. Yeah. And that's probably why you're an entrepreneur too because you thought you could control things. <laughs> yeah. Turns out that's not true either. No, you can't control anything <laughs> in this world but your thoughts. That's it. Yeah, you can only control how you respond. Yeah. Responsibility. That's the word. The ability to respond. That's all life is. Mm-hmm. All Everything's going to happen to us. No one's going to be immune from things happening to them. It's just how do you how are you going to respond? It's already happened. Here, think about this. If your car, if someone ran into your car, Steve, three hours ago, mm-hmm. and you didn't know, it's not going to upset you, right? But when you go out there and look at it, it's going to upset you. Well, it already happened. So why is it upsetting you now? Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense with the, when you, the way you put it, yes. Yeah. Yes. So so, so something happens. It's already happened. You get to be happy or you get to be pissed off and sad. It mm-hmm. doesn't change what just happened. It doesn't. So why be mad? Because every time when you're mad, it just releases cortisol, increases your inflammation, and now your your chance of illness, cancer, everything has gone up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to s- snip at that because that's exactly how I feel. Right when something bad happens, like well that sucks. Okay, what we're we gonna do about it, and then we're gonna move on. And um, uh, let's talk about that then. So that is my reaction to negative events, which is a good thing. However, on the flip side of that, I don't have a wide range of emotions. Right. So some, when something great happens, I don't get excited. Right. That's the downside. Right. That, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so I don't think that's that, that bad of a thing to tell you the truth, Steve. Because when I tell people, and I don't know if you can see, a lot of you can't see my hands, but I'm basically drawing a two-inch line. Mm-hmm. I want to stay in this. I don't want anyone to negatively impact me, nor do I want any situation to positively impact me. Because let me explain this, why. If some if something or some situation super, super gets me so excited, what happens when that thing is taken away? Where, am I, past, where am I going to go? Past the negative. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop forever, right? Yeah. When I think about when my second wife walked out on me, I went through this crazy dating spree. Mm-hmm. Had a boat, like... I was living the life. I thought I was living life, but I really wasn't. I was yeah. I was looking for validation. Right. Woman, woman to woman, right? When I think back to like how excited I got about a woman, it was all the thought that, oh my God, my subconscious mind saying, she's going to be the one to give you what you never got as a child. So when I dated a healthy relationship, and that, by the way, that's a trauma bond. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're in this like infatuation stage with someone, it's really, really bad because that's a trauma bond. A good, lasting, loving bond is one where it grows over time. So in my most recent relationship, it wasn't this like, oh my God, I got to have you. Well, she hadn't, she hadn't made as much progress as I did. So she was looking for that person. So she blew me off twice and she laughs. She's like, I didn't blow you off. But she'll tell you, she had two guys that were paying more attention. I was at this stage in my life where I didn't have to smother her like I used to do before because I needed her to validate me. Right. Now I don't need it. 
That's how a healthy relationship is built. So don't go out if you're meeting someone. Don't have sex for like three to six months. Build a friendship. This is no joke. You want a lasting, long relationship? Build a friendship that turns into something intimate. Yeah. That's a valuable life lesson. What is your superpower? I think my superpower is a mix of empathy with motivation and push. When I talk to people, I can really feel and relate to them, mm-hmm. but I can also give them the like, you've got it, I believe in you, you're awesome. Like push them along a little bit mm-hmm. and get them into believe in themselves. Like give them the hope that things can get better. So I've always looked at that as a leadership skill, but you're talking about it in a way different than leadership. You're talking about in a way of believing others around you. Is that? I, I'm sp- specifically talking about my clients and getting mm-hmm. them because they come to me with lack of self-love, most of them. Yeah. Getting them to believe that you can do this despite the shit you went through as a child because mm-hmm. I wanted to compare my trauma to other people, and that's very, very common. It doesn't matter what level or what happened to you. It's right. just how it affected you. And so I've had some really bad cases, and I've had some not really bad cases, but they're all bad depending on how they they. Uh, they, they impacted them, right? Yeah, they so all I, still imprinted your brain. They all imprinted, yeah. And, and let's get back to bad. It, w- were they bad? Was what happened to me bad? Was what happened to you bad? No, because if those things hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be sitting here now. Someone on that's listening to this right now is going to take that quiz, and their life is forever going to be changed, forever. And their kids, their kids, if your kid has anxiety or depression and you want to know the source of it, grab your spouse, grab by the hand, walk into the bathroom, and look in the mirror. That's the source. That's the reason your kid has the problem. So had I not gone through what I went through, I couldn't be changing lives right now. So like you said earlier, I have no regrets either, man. Mm-hmm. I believe that our souls pick our traumas. My dad was a very broken soul, and he died a broken soul. But So he didn't do the work, but did he do the work because he impacted me, and now I'm doing the work, and I impacted my son. And because of my impact on my son, trying to get him, it's just crazy getting him help that's how all of this journey started. Yeah. It's just so amazing. My dad impacted me. I impacted my son. And trying to help my son, I figured it out. And now I'm going to hopefully impact tens of thousands of people. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what was the greatest lesson you've learned in your journey? Huh. It's so simple. Your thoughts. Your, th- your thoughts create every problem in your life. And those thoughts are usually untruth formed through childhood stress and programming. All you've got to do is change your thinking and change your life. Yeah. What was it, Zig Ziglar? You've got stinking thinking. <laughs> All right. So uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? Uh, the Way to Love by Anthony DeMello, far and above. The Way to Love. The Way to Love. All right. I have to check that one out. So I want you to think about a message I'm going to leave all the listeners with. I'll make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, guys, if you got value today, please support us. Subscribe. Uh, don't keep us a secret. A rising tide lifts all boats, right? So, again, if you guys have value, please support us. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe if you're uh, uh, watching on uh, YouTube. And uh, we do have a live... I'm not sure live is the best word. We're having a remote virtual sales training event. So keep an, keep an eye out. Look for our emails. We'll be uh, giving you guys uh, some further details very, very shortly. So last thoughts, what, what message do you want everyone to, to walk away with here? Yeah, I want you to know that if you're struggling or suffering in any way, shape, or form in your life, number one, it's not your fault. 
if you're in a bad marriage, you think you're, you're a shitty father or, or shitty wife or whatever, whatever it is you're struggling with, I want you to know it's not your fault. It's from thinking that created was created in your childhood through no fault of your own. And I want you to know that you deserve to have an amazing, joyful life with deep, deep connections and really solid, intimate relationships in all relationships. And if you're struggling, no matter what you think you've tried, there is a different way. Mm-hmm. And over these last three years and working with, I think, some of the best people in the world, I've created this five-week program. And literally in five weeks, I've seen countless people completely change their life. So if you think you're stuck and, and things won't change, anything you're going through, I promise you the truth is everything can change and everything can change in a big way. Whether you call me or not, I don't, it doesn't matter, but just know that you can change your life and and impact those around you because you were put here for a massive mission. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what it is, it's just because of this childhood stuff and it can all be fixed in five weeks. So yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Oh, I forgot to say how if someone wants to get holy. What's the best way to do that? Bradchandler.com. Yeah. Bradchandler.com. Take the quiz guys. We'll see you guys next time. Shout out to Steve train. Jump on the Steve train. We real estate disruptors.